Okay, you guys, welcome to episode 14 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I, as always, am your host, Troy McKeady, and uh, I have my friend here with me today who reached out to me via Twitter, and we've had about a month-long uh, Twitter conversation going via DM about Tinsley Mortimer. Um, Russ Martin, introduce yourself. Hi, Troy. Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, Tinsley Mortimer's, like, number one stand. And, uh, <laughs> been a really beautiful month it has we've been blessed uh like the fact that tinsley mortimer is back like in our zeitgeist is like i can't believe this is happening we are so lucky i honestly thought that we had lost the tins forever and when i heard that she was going to become a real housewife of new york city i was so so excited me too um now tinsley's had some some tumultuous relationships in her life she's not been very lucky in love and you and i came to the conclusion that the most interesting uh relationship i mean without a doubt the most interesting relationship in her life is probably her and topper her ex-husband but tinsley talks about that relationship at nauseum all the time i don't think there's anything <laughs> that uh you and i could cover that she hasn't covered within the first 10 minutes of every single episode of the real housewives so you and i decided that it would be interesting to talk about her short and fake love affair with constantine from american idol uh which is just like the strangest person that not only she has dated but that like maybe any real housewife has dated or any like it girl of tinsley's like stature uh it's just so bizarre and so strange and even though it was fake it was like weird that somebody made the choice to make it absolutely and i mean it's without a doubt it's there's no question that this relationship is fake and i'm actually really excited to talk about my first i mean there's question any hollywood relationship i guess there's question if it's like real or fake or whatever but this one is without question not real. Um, nobody believed it to be real even while it was happening. And I don't know. I think that there's something just as important about the fact that these two people felt they would be able to better each other's careers in some weird way by hiring each other to be together. Um, I just think it's interesting in a completely different way. Which, by the way, did not happen whatsoever. <laughs> like, yes, I not at all. I mean, it's shock. You know, it's shocking that uh, Constantine from season six of American Idol wasn't able to pull her <laughs> up to that point that she thought she would be able to get to. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. It also happened at like a very interesting point in Tinsley's life, uh, which I'm sure that we'll we'll get into. Uh, but that's in particular why I think that this like weird, bizarre four week relationship was. Uh, worthy of discussion absolutely and i also just want to point out that russ wrote uh probably the most incredible notes of like he wrote the definitive story of tinsley's life um her unofficial autobiography and emailed it to me and it literally i read it like a harlequin novel it was like you your notes were better than anything i've ever accomplished on this podcast ever by the way oh uh, well that's very very sweet uh it we're calling it the unauthorized uh biography of tinsley mortimer exactly <laughs> you're, you're the only person that will ever write it unless she does it i mean if tinsley wants to hire me to write it like show to brother out <laughs> yeah. all right well you want to like just i guess delve right into it 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, go all the way back to November 2009. Yes. So Tinsley and Constantine dated from November of 2009 to March of 2010. And uh, like I said, most people were fully aware of the fact that this was a completely false relationship. Like nothing about it was real. Uh, You know, he was in a transitional phase in his life where he was, you know, doing Broadway. And he was kind of I mean, at that time, I guess you could have maybe assumed that he would be a star. I mean, he was really successful on Broadway and Tinsley was in a weird transitional phase where she was trying to cross over into television with her reality show, high society. And, uh, I guess she thought maybe this would be the thing that would propel her into that next level of being known all over the world and not just in New York society. Which is hilarious because then they picked somebody who really only mattered in New York society. Exactly. Yeah. Only mattered in New York society and then like the living rooms of like middle aged women everywhere that like violently voted for American Idol the year that he was on. Like just a weird, a really weird guy for them to be like, that's our guy, Constantine, the one that sang rock love ballads on season six of American Idol. Uh, to put the whole thing into context, though, uh, it was at a time when American Idol was not just a show that like millions and millions of people watch, but that it was like a legitimate cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, the year that Carrie Underwood won, uh, there was 37 million votes cast, uh, and there was 24 million people watching when he got the boot. Uh, and then in New York City, uh, he was headlining like a really successful Broadway show. He'd just been nominated for a Tony. So while he was this like curly-haired theater geek, uh, he was on the up legitimately. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, look, you know, you got to strike while it's hot. Like, it's the same thing that, you know, Kim Kardashian did with Nick Lachey. You got to strike while the D-lister is hot and Tinsley saw her opportunity. You know what I mean? And uh, she took it and it did nothing for her. But I mean, I can't blame the girl for trying. I mean, what it did was get people started talking about how fake her reality show was like months before it premiered. Exactly. Oh, God. I can't wait for us to get to high society. I told Russ Martin, for some reason, by the way, I've established that I call Russ Martin by his full name. So I just refer to you as Russ Martin every single time I even mention you. Um, And we talked about how, you know, high society was like such a huge part of our lives and like we both loved it and nobody ever talks about it. And I feel like I've been shouting it from the rooftops since it was canceled and uh, I'm so excited to finally have like a platform to talk about it and really just sort of nail it into people's heads. I mean, people need to know. And it, like, it was not mentioned ever on The Real Housewives of New York City. And it's only ever mentioned as like, oh, hey, by the way, she had a reality show like around the time that she started to have a public fall from grace. Absolutely. And I also think, too, like Tinsley was really lucky for a really long time with the way that the public had interest in her. And I think a lot of that was like just being at the right place at the right time and sort of having really great media instincts at that time for what, you know, the way that the world was set up back then pre pre, you know, social media and everything like she was killing it. And she just kind of knew, um, she knew the right places to be at the right times and then, the, you know, places to be photographed and what to wear and how to sort of cultivate her look and her image. Um, in the way that the media sort of, you know, perceived her. And I think that this relationship really plays into the fact that at towards the end of that and towards the end of her reign, like she just sort of lost grip of like what to do to stay relevant. And I think this is like the perfect representation. Yeah. Tinsley didn't have a whole lot more to offer. Uh, it's almost like, I don't know, 
sports metaphor, sorry for it, but like being in the uh, like junior leagues and she got called up from the junior leagues of like society in New York City where she was a fashion girl and an it girl and a page six fixture. And then she got called up to do a reality show on the CW, this big network, and she just floundered. It just did not work. She no, no longer had those instincts. She didn't know what to do once she got onto the national stage. Absolutely. And now, I mean, I think we have given them enough, enough of an appetizer. Like, let's just like delve into Tinsley full on and just like pick her apart. Are you ready? I'm so, so ready. I've never been more ready. (laughs) Okay, so Tinsley is originally from South Carolina. She grew up in Richmond, Virginia um, at the Greymont, which is the name of the Mercer family home, the Mercer family estate. And, uh, Rich white people having names for their homes. I know. It's all so get out. I love it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, her grandfather was the president of the Standard Oil of California. And her father was an extremely successful entrepreneur and businessman. Um, According to Guest of a Guest, which is a website that you and I are going to be mentioning at nauseum for the rest of this podcast. uh, He specialized in real estate investment, but his fortune can be traced back to his father's Mercer Rug Cleansing Company. And, uh... <laughs> Which was a big thing in the mid-2000s that people would call her dad a used carpet salesman. <laughs> and she was so adamant on reminding people that it was, like, a carpet cleansing company. He wasn't a salesman, but people made fun of her a lot. Like, a yeah. lot. And uh, her mom, Dale, who we both, like, worship, and if you've seen her, you should be worshiping her, too. Uh, She was an interior designer. As we saw later on High Society, she has very, like, Tony, very 1%-y, old American classic taste. Mm -hmm. She won't design any room that doesn't look like it's from somewhere in the South or somewhere on the Upper West Side, or, sorry, Upper East Side. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you described her in your notes as, like, uh, she's, like, a, a strange world version of Patricia, if you guys watch Southern Charm. Like, she's this weird sort of, like, Southern... And it's the same thing for Tinsley. It's, like, they're very Southern, and they're very rooted in their Southern values, but they've taken that and sort of cultivated it into this, like, New York thing. So they're New York 1% Upper East Side Southerners. Yeah, interestingly, I think that Patricia from Southern Charm actually might be from New York City. I mm. don't think that she's actually uh, from Charleston or even from the South. I think she just moved there and sort of cultivated that in the inverse that the Mortimer girls did. Oh, I had no idea that she wasn't from the South. God, nothing is nothing is true. <laughs> I'm sorry, Trey. Yeah, I brought you here to have fun, not to shatter all my dreams and my hopes. um tinsley's dad also i read a lot about him i'm like kind of obsessed with him he was a frequenter of page six he i guess would like do a lot of like drunken things in public a lot and uh i read that he was very famously kicked out of the plaza hotel after drunkenly stumbling on stage and trying to sing new york new york during a michael (laughs) a michael frito performance and uh he He would just do things in public drunk all the time. And he was like a very unapologetic alcoholic, but like a life of the party alcoholic, which I always appreciate. Which like seems like maybe is also Tinsley's bag. Exactly. 
she's like kind of i mean this season when tinsley drinks like shit happens things happen to her yeah and uh there was also there was a rumor that tinsley was related to thomas jefferson on her mother's side and also patrick henry and james madison on her father's side and let's see um i also i wrote down that so tinsley a big part of her upbringing and a part of her life uh is that tinsley she attended the school called the lawrenceville boarding school which is where she met her future husband topper and um she then went to columbia university and she graduated with a ba in art history but she ended up not doing anything with her degree she just kind of immediately started working for vogue in the beauty department and uh she was there for nine months yeah, Tinsley, like, it was often cited in the early press that she worked at Vogue, but it was a job in the beauty closet, very lower rungs, sort of, like, organizing the closet or something like that. And hilariously, she apparently was very bad at getting to work on time because she couldn't dress for the day. <laughs> this is one like, of my favorite very, things. Very, yeah, she was very, very good at getting herself together borrowing a dress, buying a dress, doing her classic Tinsley curl and going out for the evening. Apparently she could not get up in the morning and put on like a cute outfit, which I think is just like hilarious. It reminds me of drag queens. Like drag queens are very afraid of day drag and Tinsley Warmer also afraid of day drag. (laughs) I actually wrote down this quote from the New York Post where they, they asked her about like, why she stopped working for Vogue and how it was hard for her to wake up in the mornings and get dressed. And I love it because it's slightly shady because they put in all of her, they quoted all of her likes and ums to like make her sound more stupid. And she said, she said, you know, Vogue was tough. I mean, it was such a good, it was such good training, just dealing with people and, you know, just like a bunch of girls and, you know, girls can be tough. And um, also you just have to, I don't know, you have to be, but it feels like you're obligated to be like super chic in the morning with your Manolos. It's not getting up in the morning. I have two chihuahuas. So, (laughs) so I get up pretty early, but just to be totally fixed up, it was just a little overwhelming for me at that time. It's like, a good time to mention that her press savvy extended about as far as being photographed and clearly not to an interview absolutely such a huge part of her uh her sort of pop culture staple is that she just the girl can't talk like tinsley there's not a lot of interesting things that come out of her mouth and when she does talk and i've watched at this point now countless interviews with tinsley from recently back to like you know 2004 2005 and she just sounds like a girl being interviewed for like a high school newspaper every single time. Uh, I somewhere that I read somewhere while I was doing the research, I read that she was a woman who, like Paris Hilton before her, was photographed to fame. Yes, and I think is extremely accurate. I do think that, like you said, she was very savvy. But when it comes down to actually like speaking a sentence, as we have still seen a decade later on The Real Housewives, Tinsley can barely stitch them together. No, yeah, it's it's painful. I mean, watching her even I mean, watching her trying to interact with Bethany makes me really uncomfortable too because you can tell Bethany's like staring at her and and like intimidating her and it makes her stutter and be even more like high school girly and it just makes me really super uncomfortable. Yeah. 
No, it's punching down. (laughs) And uh, so after Vogue, she enrolled at Parsons to study decorative art. That also lasted about four months. And in the same New York Post article, she said... I always sort of dreamed of going to Parsons and stuff for interior design. Then I realized that, like, I mean, I was there and I, um, I just got a little sick of papers in school. Relatable. Relatable. Also, four months. (laughs) Four months because she got sick of papers. I've never related to something more in my life. Which is, like, in those four months, like, do you have time to finish a paper? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, how many papers are you really going through in four months? Oh, tens. <laughs> um, post her four-month excursion, she got a job at a PR firm called Harrison and Schiffman through Topper. And uh, in the same post, she said, my job was, was sort of to invite the social people and make sure they attended the events. Because obviously I know them, so it's easier to call your friends and say, hey, can you come to this event for a few hours? She did that for two years, then quit after getting married in 2002 because, quote, she was finished with working. Uh, while she was a woman who went to an Ivy League school and came from a certain sort of standing, I think it is also expected in that world that once you land a man like Topper, that you do stop working Uh not necessarily to be front or to be like fair to Tinsley, like that's obviously pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is in line with the trajectory that she was totally on at the time. Uh, yeah. The hilarious thing was apparently around this time she had brought on a publicist, and the publicist told her to stop working because it was like bad for her image to be a person who worked. Yeah. <laughs> um. Wait, wait. Was her publicist a man or a woman? Do you know because the their name was Hay, and I and that's not sex specific, so I wasn't sure. I have no idea. I got the impression that it was a man, but okay. that could just my patriarchy. <laughs> I assumed it was a man too, to be honest with you. Um, but no, I totally I, agree with no. you. Like, I think that she, like, when you read that she stopped working because she was quote done working and hated papers and getting dressed in the morning. It's like. There's something respectable about the fact that Tinsley knew that that was never a life that she wanted or that would work for her or that would make her happy. And she always knew that she would be happy being basically just being Tinsley Mortimer and like cultivating like a brand and an image like she was pretty much she was unapologetic about the fact that she literally just didn't want to work hard. So she didn't. Do you think, Troy, that. I feel like she worked hard at being Tinsley, but mm-hmm. she was unwilling or unable to work hard at anything that the rest of us do. I totally agree. I think she did work really, really hard at being Tinsley. I don't think it was easy to be Tinsley Mortimer from like, you know, 2004 to 2010. I really don't. I mean, at the very least, like she put like boots to the ground, hit the pavement and was everywhere. Absolutely. Like, she was photographed so much. And, I mean, to, to like, be able to keep up with the social scene to that extreme, to be photographed at every single event, to be around the right people. I mean, like, I don't think that that's something that just kind of... I mean, obviously, there are people who try and do that and fail. And there are people who do it and then create, you know, multi-billion dollar industry brands like Paris Hilton. So, 
obviously there's like an art to it and it does take some sort of specific talent that you're either born with i think or just not or like bred i think that tinsley was bred to live a certain lifestyle and her mom always knew that this is something she would do in some aspect you know she did just spectacularly fail when it came to launching it into the next phase in the way that Paris Hilton had or Kim Kardashian had or even like someone like Tori Burch, which is probably closer to what Tinsley is. She just couldn't like cross that finish line. Yeah, which is actually really ironic when you think about it now, because Paris Hilton is sort of at the same standstill that ten- it's almost like we were more tolerant of Paris's unability, like inability to change for a much longer time than we were for Tinsley. And now Paris is at the same sort of standstill that Tinsley's at, where she's unwilling to change herself in any way, like not willing to make any changes to the Paris Hilton brand at all. And if it's not working, then she'll just keep continuing to do it in Ibiza where her talents are wanted because she's just not, she's not willing to change. I mean, at least Paris Hilton had like the wits about her to go, to the Middle East and to find a new market and to start like selling off foam and diamonds in some other place. (laughs) And like DJing from like her, for her iPhone at clubs. Like from her iPhone, like her quote is like three quarters of a million dollars or something totally insane. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like she's been given DJ awards and like is now officially considered like a successful DJ in multiple parts of the world. It's ridiculous. And our poor Tinsley just got a lipstick. Oh, all she got was a pink lipstick. And now she's like doing everything she can to even be invited to places. It's really sad. Yeah, there is something that is just like deeply, deeply sad about Tinsley Mortimer and about seeing Tinsley Mortimer now on The Real Housewives a decade later, knowing so much about that story when she was sort of taking off like a rocket in terms of being an it girl and a society fixture and somebody that I loved to read about and consume like via the press at the time. It's just very sad seeing that it's the exact same storyline that it was 10 years ago for this woman. The exact same. Nothing's changed. And like, I mean, we're definitely going to get to that for sure. But like, it's just so interesting that everybody around her is so like aware of the fact that she needs to change her, I mean, she she needs to update herself. Like, she is just completely, like, cast in this, like, relic of 2009. And she is unwilling to budge down to her hair. Nothing can be different than it was 10 years ago. She will not allow it. Uh, I think it was Bitch Sesh that I was listening to uh, the podcast. And they were talking about how she still dresses like Blair Waldorf. No, she totally does. Yeah, like, she's still got that very prep school look that, honestly, she probably had before we knew her. She probably dressed almost the same when she was 16 or 17 years old. And I think even psychologically, from a lot of the things that she says now, she seems like she's still trapped in that same mindset from when she was 17 or 18. Which, I understand that that happens to people, like, 
Ryan Bailey and I just talked about, you know, Demi Moore being like stuck in a, in a, in a, in a, a, like when you become a certain level of famous and you sort of lose sight of perception and not being able to sort of read the temperature in a room. And I do think that that's the same for Tensley, but she had a really long time to kind of take a step back and she wasn't in the spotlight at all and was not famous for a long time. So it's, it's kind of inexcusable in a sense. Well, and it's also inexcusable because, like, the level of fame that she had was really, really low. Right. You know, like, Demi Moore was a legitimate superstar. Tinsley Mortimer was, like, famous in New York City. God. She's an enigma wrapped in a riddle and a pink lipstick. Like, it's just, <laughs> it never, it's, a woman so dull can be so fascinating. It's insane. It, it That's, like, that's something that I'm curious to hear about you, to hear from you about is, what fascinates you about her? Because even when I went back and watched High Society, she's not the interesting part, but I'm still fascinated in whatever is going on in this woman's life. You know, I chalk it up to, I think Tinsley has been, somehow she's found herself in some extremely interesting situations and scenarios, and she's had an extremely interesting path in life but she herself is actually extremely uninteresting. And I think that alone is interesting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a cypher for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, so we've come to the conclusion that our, our Corey Hay, who was the manager that she, uh, that she met, um, is a male. I don't know that for sure. I could have easily Googled it. I don't know why. I mean, we both wrote 15 page notes and didn't just simply Google what this person looked like but it's fine it doesn't matter <laughs> um so tensely met him at a at a, an event and she basically went up to him and was like look i want to be a socialite i want to be somebody who doesn't work and just kind of prances around in cute clothes and gets photographed like what do i need to do and like you said he advised her to you know not work and that it doesn't look good for a socialite to be working and to just really devote her entire sort of existence to being seen. Every event that she could possibly go to, to go to it and make sure that she's photographed and, you know, put in the right publications, the right blogs. And um, I have a quote here from uh, Mr. Hay. He said, I felt that we couldn't turn her into a little socialite that would be put on a pedestal by New York society and the gossip, col gossip columnists and the glossy magazine press. As long as she had a job as a, as long as she had a job as a publicist, even though a lot of social girls didn't emerge from that, from that, uh, emerge from publicity. So he basically helped her kind of get into these like social events, like museum, like parties and charity events and things like that. And then at that point forward, like Tinsley basically became known for being photographed. Like you just, if there was any social event happening in New York City, Tinsley would be there in a heel, in a girly dress with a bow around her neck blonde curls a pink lip and a clutch that was yeah. pretty much it <laughs> and just to contextualize it like she went from that to being in vogue and being in w and being in vanity fair uh she wasn't just known sort of in that circle while she was on page six all the time mm -hmm. she did have much further reaches uh even like her handbag line uh was at the time kind of a big deal uh like tinsley did well for herself during those years oh absolutely she 
and she rose i mean to new york to new york fame standards really quickly like it wasn't a long period in between her deciding to go out and become a socialite and then just becoming a socialite there was not a long period in between that at all she just kind of did it yeah no absolutely it was like 2004 till 2006 and then by 2006 like the new york times was calling her like the preeminent girl of new york society and uh Mr. Hay had also said that uh, he said, I knew that Tinsley had the potential to be an it girl because she was beautiful. She was perky. She had a great, vibrant personality. Hay also says she was funny. She was frisky. She was a little a little pedigree filly, a pedigree filly. That's like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And she had she was a Mortimer. So she had a really strong connection to that kind of old New York. And like you said, Tinsley used like people like Tory Burch and uh Cornelia Geist is like her inspiration that she wanted to kind of brand herself after of these like beautiful women who were so beautiful and dressed so well that they were able to cultivate fashion lines and, you know, product lines and makeup lines and just sort of sell themselves as a brand, which at the time was, I mean, now it seems kind of trivial to talk about, but like at the time that was like a very new concept to just sell yourself for doing nothing but being yourself as a, like, worldwide brand. And without the advent of social media, like, sort of around the same time, you had people like Tila Tequila and Jeffree Star in a completely other universe that were utilizing tools like MySpace mm-hmm. to turn themselves into brands. But at the time, no one was doing it in the circles that Tinsley uh, was running it. No, not at all. And, like... With such higher up people, you know what I mean? With people that were like actually considered like fashion royalty, you know? And she even started like from 2006 to 2007, she started, she became known for sitting front row at fashion shows at the exact time that like celebrities kind of were starting to do that, where like the people sitting at front rows weren't just like editors or buyers, it was actually people like Pharrell and Paris Hilton and, you know, Nikki Hilton. And she was a part of that group of people that were like cultivating this new version of what it meant to be famous. And let's see. So Tensley was unique in the sense too, that she was already like married and she was older. And that's something that they mention a lot in all of these articles that Tensley was in her thirties. She wasn't like 20 or 21 years old. Um, she wasn't somebody who was looking for a husband. She was already married, which is like sort of the whole, that's like a whole part of being like a socialite is that you're out like dating people. And she wasn't, she was a married woman, like an adult woman who had like lived a life. You know what I mean? Like she was not like a kid. And I actually just find that really interesting. Yeah. Paris Hilton right now is 36 years old. Uh, Tinsley Mortimer is 41. Uh, they came up like around similar times. Paris Hilton had just sort of broken and gone through the whole Paige Chick scandal girl thing. And that when Tinsley did it a year or two or three later, she was almost, she was like half a decade older than Paris Hilton. Which is so insane to think about because Tinsley's whole image, like her whole, the whole Tinsley Mortimer Mortimer thing is that she's, youthful and that she's got this sort of like childlike thing and that she dresses like a little girl she like dresses like eloise that's her whole thing but she was like mary jane's and like little like frilly party girl dresses when she was like 31 yeah (laughs) it's kind of cemented 
I know. Again, looking back, it's actually like kind of sad. Yeah, it was sad right from the start. We just couldn't see it. No, because we were all very sad people as well. Just all pathetic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like you said, this was uh, around the time that becoming a socialite was like a thing. Like Paris and Nikki had really sort of rebranded what it meant to be a socialite. And it had become very cool again. Like it was like, you know, the 40s to be a socialite, especially in New York City. Yeah. And like that was probably at the time not a word that was even used, like say in the Midwest, uh, being a socialite. Uh, it is very, it's a very urban thing. Uh, but at the time, it was around the time of Gossip Girl, which, by the way, there's also like some theories that Tinsley inspired some of Gossip Girl. Uh, but they were going on as this like socialite person and there was a lot of buzz around the time. There was also a lot of development uh, going into reality TV shows. Uh, when she finally got High Society, that wasn't the first TV show that she had been pitching or involved in. She previously had a pilot with MTV and Devorah Rose, who I love and I know you love, uh, yes. had a failed uh, reality show that didn't get picked up. So. There was a lot of sort of steam around the idea of being a socialite at the time, and it seemed sort of new again, even though it dated back so far. Yeah, and like, first of all, I, th just the mention of Devorah Rose gives me goosebumps. The hair on my arms is raised. I cannot wait to talk about her. The sexy social. Yeah, exactly, the sexy social. Um, <laughs> and like you said earlier, at this time, Tinsley was declared uh, the year's social star by New York Post. And in 2007, I would say 2007 is where things really, really took off for her. Like, that's when she really like became Tinsley Mortimer. Like, her name was out there. Like, brands loved her. People, at a certain point, it was like there was no event that Tinsley Mortimer wasn't going to. And if she wasn't there, you were like wondering where she was. Uh, are you a Gossip Girl fan? Uh, of course, yeah. Do you remember when you heard that Tinsley Mortimer was going to be on Gossip Girl? Okay, so me and my friend, my old roommate, Amanda, when we were in college, we were both obsessed with Gossip Girl. And we were obsessed with, like, we had become really obsessed with socialites. Like, Olivia P Palermo had become somebody that we were both obsessed with. And Tinsley was somebody that we were really obsessed with, too, because we would read these websites, these, like socialite websites i don't even know why from like kent state university in ohio and uh yeah, i remember hearing that she was going to be on it and being like what the hell is going on yeah no absolutely and i think that that was also that was part of the appeal from a real far distance too like around that time i was going to university in toronto and it was just like such a world away and when you read about a socialite and you read about what these women did in their lives, it seemed just so completely baffling and unreal. Absolutely. It just felt like, at that time, it felt so new. I mean, we didn't grow up in a time when, like, being a socialite was something that would even, like, a word that would even leave our mouths. So, like, the idea of it felt so just, like, cool and, like, exotic and, like, something that, like you said, like, we would never really fully be a part of. So then you become, like, thirsty for more. Yeah, and... Also, at the time, it was the height of, like, more is more tabloid culture. So you could get so much of Lindsay, you could get so much of Britney, you could get so much of Paris. But there was a little bit of a push and pull 
with these socialite girls like Tinsley Mortimer, where you didn't know everything about their lives. And if you look back on the way that Hollywood stars uh, were crafted, even dating back to like someone like Elizabeth Taylor, a lot of the allure came from the fact that we didn't know things about them the way that we know everything now. Right. And while there was like the Nicoles and the Parises that we saw constantly all the time and knew everything about, I found Tinsley just so interesting because she was an enigma and because I didn't hear her speak uh, and because she was someone who was written about, not somebody who spoke. Yeah, and like you actually wrote something really interesting in your notes about how she catered to sort of an older... It's like she knew at that time that her place would not be with like the exact same market as Paris Hilton. Like she had enough sense to be like, I've got to kind of blaze my own trail in that sense. And also it's just never been Tinsley to be the girl who is like dancing on a bar and like showing her vagina and doing coke off people's backs. You know what I mean? She's just like not that girl. She's I'm sorry, what were you gonna say? Her brand is good girl. Yeah, she's the she's the good girl socialite. So like you know, she sort of marketed herself to an older, sort of like more stuffy Upper East Side New York social scene instead of like even trying to cater to the same people that Paris Hilton was, which I actually think is like really smart and plays into how on the pulse she was at that time of like culture. Yeah. And she also got like the flip side of the people who like hate followed her life. Like mm-hmm. at the same time that she was getting like press in these respectable, uh, like old school glossy magazines. She was also just getting like torn into thousands and thousands of little pieces by Gawker. Yes, like literally every single day about every single thing she was doing because she did nothing. That's the funny thing is like they had to like cultivate stories because she literally didn't do anything besides go be photographed at places and like drink champagne at events and then leave and go to another one. So (laughs) um, so in 2007, 2007, Tinsley became the beauty ambassador for Dior. They released a lip gloss named after her called Tinsley Pink. And uh, that was pretty iconic. She also started a handbag line with Samantha Devesa. That was a mild success in the States. I mean, uh, success enough that they, I mean, a woman who had no uh, background at all just started a a purse line. Um, (laughs) And then uh, it became hugely successful in Japan to the point that she was like all over the place. Like her face was on billboards. Yeah, I guess people in Japan just, like, thought of her as the classic American girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, like, the branding did something in Japan where they thought of her sort of, like, as they might think of Mickey Mouse. Oh, absolutely. I've, like, I remember watching this, uh, have you ever seen the documentary Paris, Not France? No, oh, yes. But, like, clipped out on YouTube? Yeah, the, it's, like, the Paris Hilton one, I think it was MTV. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she talks about what it's like for her to go to Japan because, you know, like in Japan, like their uh, their image sort of the way that like an ignorant person in America would like think that a schoolgirl is sort of like the image of a Japanese young girl. Like their perfect image of an American girl is blonde haired and blue eyed and tall and thin. And like when they see that, they all freak out like then in Japan they love Paris like the way that we like used to love Marilyn Monroe and you know the same thing for Tinsley she's just she's the perfect image of what it means to be an American girl 
even at 32. Exactly. <laughs> um, now, did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we get to Tinsley and, and Topper? I don't think so. Let's uh, let's go into uh, uh, to Tinsley Topper and the uh, the fall of the House of Mortimer. All right. So I think Topper is probably one of the more important elements in the history of Tinsley's life and her career and her brand. Um, her story wouldn't be her story without without Topper. Like he made her who she was for the good and the bad, and. I mean, if you're like I said earlier, if you're watching Real Housewives this season, like not a minute goes by that she doesn't mention that she was married at some point. So, I mean, I don't think we need to spell it all out for you, but we will because that's just what we do here at this podcast. Um, so Topper worked in New York as a financial marketing executive, and he came from a family of extremely old wealth, like just sort of like the one percentile of like um, of America and of New York when a New York was like being built, like he's basically like a, like a Morgan, like he is the definition of old money. And, uh, uh I'm sorry. I, go ahead. I wrote down, uh, which I think is like hilarious and so sustained, uh, the Jezebel, uh, version of his bio, uh, is topper Mortimer is one of those old money types who is a direct descendant of one of the families that ruled everything in America when the country was slightly more like a monarchy. I mean, like, has anything ever been worded more perfectly? Like, they really summed up the guy. <laughs> yeah. And, like, totally summed up why it was so important for Tinsley. I mean, why she has this sort of psychotic emotional attachment to him, not only because he was her first love and her first everything, but, like, I mean, imagine being married to a man that's described like that by Jezebel. Yeah. Like, without Topper, she wouldn't have been Devorah Rose, but she wouldn't have been Tinsley Mortimer. Exactly. She just sort of would have coasted. Like, he really, he really, really helped sort of propel her name into this, like, the the level of, like, society in New York that she, that she dreamed of being. And he, and he helped do it in, like, a year. I mean, it took literally no time at all for her to become just, like, New York royalty because of Topper's last name. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite things that I learned that I didn't know before I started doing research for this podcast, uh, which I just think is so ironic and weird because Tinsley was really branded as being a social climber who not necessarily married for money or married for the family name, but really used it. And you'll hear even now on The Housewives, uh, her talking about how his family didn't like it. And the topper said some very shady things in the press about Tinsley's sort of social aspirations and her aspirations uh, to fame. Uh, but according to this one article that I read, uh, the Mortimers are actually known as the marrying Mortimers because so many people in their family married to like social success. When I read that in your notes, I literally scream laughed. <laughs> the marrying mortimers detail really buried detail <laughs> and his money i mean i guess we should mention that he his family comes from the standard oil fortune and he's the son of singa in mortimer and john j mortimer um and tinsley and topper they met at lawrenceville prep school when they were kids she was in the 12th grade he was in the 11th grade and uh, i have a quote here from the times 
about their relationship it says it was a snowfall or actually you know what this is him talking about when he met her um he said it was snowfall and she was walking across the campus with a couple of her friends and i just grabbed her and threw her into a snowbank like okay uh mr mortimer said anyway that was my approach and she didn't really like it but she was laughing so hard she couldn't breathe i'd be like um i'm actually not breathing because you literally threw my body into a snowbank and i don't know you uh, Tinsley will often talk about how sort of idyllic it was. She really paints it as this beautiful relationship and this teenage romance that sort of turned into the real thing. Uh, but I found a quote uh, in a story that was from one of their classmates at the time. I am going to find it. Uh, they were obsessed with each other. It was a little strange. You were talking <laughs> about two pretty weird people. They're both extremely obsessive. <laughs> yeah. That made me laugh really hard, too. I mean, like, you even just the way that Tinsley talks about him, the fact that, like, she's still wearing her wedding ring on her pinky finger. And, like, if this is, like, the we're sort of, like, transitioning down from the weirdness of their relationship and her, like, this is the cutoff. Can you imagine what it was like at, like, the height of them being in, like, the honeymoon phase of getting to know each other? Because... Right. I can't even fathom it. No, like, who has ever loved anyone that much? Just, like, Pamela and Tommy Lee. Seriously, just, like, a mad love. (laughs) Um, So when they turned 18, they both drove to a courthouse in uh, Brindenton, Florida, and they got married by a justice of the peace. And uh, they kept the marriage a secret for a little while, but not long at all. I mean, it wasn't long until their parents found out. And uh, they were both forced by their families to fly to the Dominican Republic and have the marriage annulled. And Tinsley has said, she even said this this year on The Real Housewives, that when they got married, they were both inspired by Beverly Hills 90210 because Andrea got married at a courthouse by the Justice of the Peace. And they thought that that was really romantic. So they had a 90210 inspired uh, marriage. Well, just like what Bethany had said, like, you chose Andrea? Yeah, like of all the people... Like, one is either a Betty or a Veronica, or you are, like, a Kelly or a Shannon, but... No, absolutely. Andrea? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's weird. It's, like, it's weird that... First of all, it's weird that he was involved in that decision-making process, and also, it's weird that that's... And of all people, for Tinsley Mortimer to choose. Yeah, it's so off-brand. Do you have any idea why they flew to the Dominican Republic? I was literally just about to ask you that. I didn't understand it, and I couldn't find any reason why. No, I tried, like, very hard in, like, the corners of the internet to try to find why one would go to the Dominican Republic. But, like, that's not how I understand either the law or, like, religion working. Right. What's different in the Dominican Republic? Like, let me know. Like, how did you start off in, like, a small town in Florida and end up there to, like, solve everything i just thought that was very weird so strange um but they ended up remarrying in this um i'm sorry in 2002 in richmond virginia where they grew up and uh their relationship from this point gets kind of messy uh from then on i mean there were tons of like public cheating rumors and they would break up and get back together but they never fully divorced really for a really really long time even though they were both linked to other people constantly um they both sort of openly dated people in the press while still being married and um 
like I said, they did this for years. Yeah. I mean, like, I, that's another thing that I don't understand. Like, there's such a traditional, like, Tinsley's such a traditional Southern girl who's, like, just sort of cloaked in, like, morals, but dated other people publicly while married to this, like, huge public figure. I, like, I, that is not, like, a social world which I have ever inhabited, but maybe it's that the cardinal sin is actually divorce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're right. That, like, you're supposed to get married and stay married, and I think that it's, like, widely accepted, even, like, if you look at someone like Luann, uh, that they have an open marriage or that they, you know, mess around or whatever, and people might know, and that could all be fine, but, like, one stays married. And like, okay, this is my weird little thing about that. Not to like completely sidetrack about Luann, but it's hard. It's hard for me to hear her name and not have an opinion. Um, but like, the thing that I don't get about people who do that is like, literally nobody cares. Like, I don't. I think that if Luann would just be open about the fact that they do have an open marriage, then everybody would get off their backs about it. But it's people like her and like Tinsley who will claim to have this like perfect relationship where nothing is wrong where maybe there is nothing wrong because that works for you too and it's fine so like just own it and be like yeah we both kind of dabble and do our own thing and we love each other and we're in a, in a place in our lives where it's fine yeah well and that seems to be like very clearly what Luann is doing and like possibly what she also did with the count uh, mm-hmm. but, like it, it's totally fine it's totally normal but I think it's probably a little bit different like if you're a woman in her 50s having grown up in like a different social time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's like the most empathetic thing I've ever said about like Countess to Lu- Luann de Lesseps. <laughs> no, you just ground. Cause I would have gone like full through. You just grounded me. Like <laughs> took me back to like a place of being a human person. Just like breaks. I mean, this is not a podcast for human people. So <laughs> <laughs> if you have a soul, check it at the door. <laughs> <laughs> so in summer of 2008 rumors started to sort of uh, circulate that they weren't doing well and topper was photographed out at night with friends and many different women and tinsley like i said she started attending events alone and she was seen with other people um so she had gone from going to all these events with with topper as like a you know a married couple to just doing everything by herself and uh she then started dating the iconic Prince Casimir, a.k.a. Cassie, Winton Geistin. I can't really pronounce his last name. I think it's I try. Wit, Wittgenstein. That's, Listen, what I know about the guy is that according to Tinsley's mom, he might be a Nazi. <laughs> Never date a German. <laughs> 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 And uh, Cassie was a London-based banker with a castle in Rhine Valley. So he had a huge, 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 huge part of uh, of high society. And I had a very good time getting to know getting to know him. He was a batshit crazy little man. Yeah, I, I only found like a smattering of articles about Tinsley uh, going to London and them sort of piling around publicly uh in chelsea uh but i didn't get like deep into his bio like tell me everything you know about this man because we learned actually nothing about him 
And oh, uh, yeah, I had the exact same problem. I mean, the, literally the only thing I could find was about, like, his castle. That's, like, his claim to fame. Um, yeah, but, the castle ex-wife. Exactly. exactly. Um, but you actually wrote something in your notes that was really interesting about how they had sort of, like, an agreement, like a, a don't ask, don't tell policy. Tinsley and Topper? Yes. Yes. Like, it did It did sort of seem like that. Uh, there was this whole article, I think that it was a New York Magazine article that profiled them uh, after their downfall and public breakup, uh, where it had been, like, months later, and there was a wedding that they were supposed to go to, and Topper went down, and Tinsley was supposed to bring his shoes. That was the big, like, detail. Uh, and she ended up calling him... Uh, from a European, like, dial tone and saying that she couldn't make it to the wedding, like, stiffing him at the last minute and he had to borrow a pair of shoes uh, and then proceeded to get, like, wasted and tell everybody at the wedding, like, how horrible his marriage was. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, it got, like, it got sad and dark also because they didn't split up. They publicly sort of dated and messed around on each other, uh, but for a while it seemed like what they were doing was like, let's take some time apart. Like it was a Rachel and Ross, is this a break sort of a thing. Uh, but Tinsley, what she did was like a little bit more public and she chose somebody who had like something that the press would obviously want to write about being links to nobility. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, she still, I mean, at this point she was still holding true to the fact that they were married and happy and, There was nothing negative that she would say about him publicly, but she was definitely, like, linked to other men. Um, I actually wrote down a quote from, this is Avenue Magazine, where they ask her about, like, what's going on with them. And she said, we... We have felt our way through some difficult times and transitions, but we love each other very much. We look forward to being together and having a wonderful, exciting, yet at times challenging life together, and we want to start a family soon. And um, these rumors just sort of went back and forth literally for years, like rumors of him cheating, rumors of her cheating. And like I said, them not so secretly, just like literally not being together the entire like half their marriage. Um, which the is- thing is really sad. Uh, there there were stories about, I think, like timeline. I lined it up to be like an MTV pilot that she was shooting. Uh, mm-hmm. But they were giving it like one last kick at the can of staying together. And Topper really wanted a kid. But Tinsley really wanted a reality show. Oh. Yeah, like it's sad. And like not to paint Topper as like this like great wholesome like family guy necessarily. Like he was off doing his his own thing in many ways too. Yeah. Uh, but it was like a real bummer to read. Now we're about to get into high society, and before we do, I just want to kind of like pick your brain about if you've picked up on any. I find the fact that at this moment on Real Housewives that Tinsley lives with Sonia, I think it's very interesting. And I also think it's kind of weird that nobody on the show has like mentioned anything about this yet or like said anything about it. But these two women lived a very similar life. And Tinsley, I could see sort of becoming a version of Sonia. I don't think she'll ever be as messy as Sonia. She'll never be a girl that like literally lays on her back on a bar and spreads her legs open <laughs> in an Hervé Leger dress. Like I don't see that for her future, but like the delusion of like living in her marriage and living in the past in this really unhealthy way 
her attachment to her ex-husband, like her attachment to her old life and just sort of like the obsession with like keeping up the appearance that you still live that life is really weird. And it's weird that these two are like close and that they live together and that she lives in Sonia's house, like in Sonia's version of her delusional world. Totally. They have the exact same sadness and Mm -hmm. about the exact same thing. Uh, I think like Sonia being a person who clearly has zero self-awareness, like wouldn't even so much as mention like, oh, I feel for Tinsley because she is going through something that I have gone through. Uh, But they are both still just like clinging on to this previous version of their lives. It's really weird. Like, and it's so sad because both of them, have so much potential to kind of like rebrand and move on and like become you know different people and it's not like they're not in a position where the world wouldn't totally embrace them like if Tinsley Mortimer rebranded herself right now and totally shocked us especially post housewives with like a new image or like a transition into like a new business venture or something like that would be huge for her same thing with Sonia Morgan but like they're just unwilling to budge yeah no they they have no intention of ever sort of like leaving that small few section of city blocks up on the Upper East Side. And they're just like clinging to everything that it represents uh, in a way that's like a real bummer because, you know, like Sonia is very charismatic. I'm like, Sonia has like so much going on in her benefit and Tinsley, like I am rooting for her. Uh, I do think that, that she could do something at least. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, You'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s with new chapters added every week the excitement never ends download june's journey now on your android or ios device or play on pc through facebook games